in Galatians chapter 2, and we're following on from David Wood's message last week. So we are looking at the section in chapter Galatians chapter 2 of 11 to the end, 11 to 21. It's in my Bible, it's headed as Paul opposes Peter. The heading that we've given it uh, in our uh, own talks and our leaflet is that we are going to call Paul explains why he is right. So it's both these titles mean the same thing. Paul opposes Peter and Paul explains why he is right. I want to actually um, take it in two, two, um, two sections. The first section I want to look at is really why Paul felt it necessary to oppose Peter at all. Why he felt the need to do that. And then secondly, uh, looking at the, the detail of what he opposed Peter for and um, just analysing that together and seeing the, why Paul saw it, felt it was important and whether we today would feel the same. So let's just read together the, this section first of all. So it's from Galatians 2, verse 11 to the end of the chapter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. <coughs> But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by the hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I suppose that last comment sums up pretty much everything. Is that if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. 
Peter, when he was challenged here, um, was clearly at fault. And Paul took it upon himself to challenge him openly. It seems uh, to me when I was just thinking about it, it's quite a, uh, an amazing thing that Paul did. That uh, Peter was such a strong character. He was one of the uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus. He was the one who had led the disciples after the ascension of the Lord. He was the one who stood up at the day of Pentecost. And he was the one who boldly went forward. And the, the, the group that became known as the Christians were in effect led. Led by all the apostles, but maybe Peter being one of the strongest of them all by Peter. And so here we are a few, good few years later and this strong man Peter has been called to account by the man Paul and he's, he's challenging him on a very important truth and we'll come to this a bit more because this is a, the crux of this, um, this story, this uh, passage is that it's all about justification by faith, not justification through the law. And it seems incredible, maybe to some of us who look at that and think, well, why would somebody like Peter actually give the, the indication that justification through the law was necessary? A man like Peter. I think one of the things we learn from this is that we know from Peter's weaker days, if we call them that, it's when he was a disciple that Satan was able to get at him because he was maybe something to do with his character. He, he maybe acted first and thought later, which a lot of us are prone to do. Uh, maybe he was somebody who was a natural leader and so Satan went for him. And Satan was successful in some ways. And remember the story when the Lord actually said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And the Lord could clearly see the impact of the involvement of Satan in Peter's life. So here we are later where he's, he's now filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in Peter and he's a leader and he's much more experienced and knowledgeable but it seems that Satan's got at him again. What was wrong in what Peter did um, was by his actions and the fact that he was a leader um, stumbled many other people. Because of his position of authority power, his knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and at this stage certainly his knowledge of Old Testament, that he was a, a man that people looked up to. He was a man um, of renown, a man of authority. And that made it all the worse. What do we learn from that? Just thinking about, again, the, the position of Peter is that we have people today who will stand up like this or in bigger conferences 
and they will teach. How do you know what they're saying is true? If I was to stand here and to say, actually, um, to be justified, we actually need to go back to make sure that the males are circumcised, or we have to go back to the law of Moses, and there are certain parts of that law that are important that we keep. And actually, you have to do that along with Christ. You know, if anybody stood up and said that sort of thing, what would, how would your, what would your reaction be? Hopefully it would be, this guy don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, hopefully it would be, hang on a minute, and you would search the scriptures, and you would say, well, what, what he said doesn't hold weight. Maybe in the circumstances here where they didn't have New Testament scriptures, what they were, they were very much dependent on was the teaching of the apostles and the letters that were being written and things that were being um, discussed among themselves. So maybe they were more fragile, um, maybe they were more susceptible to the attacks of Satan. But the point I would just like to make is it's so important for us today to know our Bibles, to know the Word of God, so that you can immediately identify when somebody, whether it's on a platform or whether it's on a, some blog or some tape ministry or whatever it might be, particularly <laughs> if it's non-Churches of God thing, where people will say things and you think, well, that sounds okay, but how does it tie up with the Word of God? And it's important that we be Berean in our understanding and appreciation of what's been said. We should have confidence, there's people that we should have confidence in that what they're saying, and if they back it up with scripture, then that, that is always the, the, the important measure that we, we measure what is said by what the scriptures teach. And it's the same here as what, what Paul was actually um, saying to Peter was, uh, this is not what I've taught you. This is not what's been said. And this is not what's been said in the past. So it is important that if wrong teaching comes into your ears, if you come under the sound of wrong teaching, that you immediately identify it. Now, it's not always, if, if it's somebody that's close to you, or if it's somebody you're having a private discussion with, or if it's somebody like now, if I said something, that you come up to me afterward and say, that's not right, or I don't, I'm questioning it, I'm challenging you, and challenge me on the scriptures. Because it's important that we uh, take the importance of scripture. I want to just back that up by just reading some scriptures together. There's... Um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 <clears throat> and this is one very basic thing but I am now writing to you this is Paul again. Uh, you must not associate with someone who calls himself a brother, 
but is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, swindler. With such a man do not even eat. I think, again, that's maybe very basic stuff that's pretty obvious, that that is somebody who calls himself a brother or a sister, uh, who is somebody who's claiming to be Christ-like, who's claiming to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who's claiming to be a Christian, and yet you see in their life things that immediately cause you to challenge it and think, well, is it not right that we should see in him or her evidence of Christ? And if we don't, challenge him. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. <coughs> Verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. And then verse 14. If anyone does not obey your instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. I put that one in because I think that verse, is, oh, verse 15, is, is very important. Is that we don't want to be taking a self-righteous position. And when I was studying um, what Paul was challenging Peter with, there was clearly a love between the two of them. Because that came out earlier and it came out later and that they backed each other up and that although Paul felt very compelled to challenge what Peter was teaching, um, it was done as a brother, it was done in love and it was done, I think, in the presence of God. And that's important, that we don't sort of lord it over each other like, I know more than you, so you listen to me. That attitude would not be wise. We do it in a in a a loving atmosphere. That's the way to do it. Second Timothy chapter three <coughs> and verse Um, read before that um, verse 2 people will be lovers this is talking about uh, the times of the end days or the last days which a lot of us believe we are, we are now in so chapter 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 there will be terrible times in the last days people will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boastful, proud, abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, but lo not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. 
again, I, I'm just putting these scriptures in not to suggest for, that Peter fell into that category, <coughs> only to highlight the importance of error being challenged. And whether it be in a person's life, then maybe rather than them actually standing up on a platform and speaking error, they are living error. And that is something that should be challenged as well. So I'm really throwing this in because I think that we have a responsibility to each other to challenge one another in not just what we say about the scriptures, about truth, about the word of God, but also in the way we live. If we feel that there is an ungodliness in someone's life, are we not duty-bound to challenge them with it? We, we, it's not something that comes easy. And if you're like me, you, you immediately start thinking, well, if I say that to him or her, he or she will just come back at me and say, well, who are you to talk and point at things in my life? But maybe that's the type of environment that we should be looking to, where we do have that in interaction, so that we can be, seek to be more Christ-like in our lives. Uh, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to skip over some. Um, th there were people whom uh, Paul came in touch with, and we read about them in Second Timothy, uh, Demas, it says that he loved the world. You know, there's a lot of us that love the world. And there's a lot of us that we, we see it in each other and we keep quiet about it. Demas was somebody who Paul immediately called out. He was somebody and he wrote his name. <laughs> he became infamous. And you think, wow, that's a bit hard, you know. I wouldn't have liked if somebody had written about David King like that, you know, and you know, he loves the world, you know, then, and then sent the letter off to another church. But then, was that wrong? Was Paul wrong? There was others like Hymenius and Philetus in 2 Timothy 2, that they spread false doctrine, and they were a bit like gangrene. And he identified that they were a bad influence on the Christians that they were dealing with. And so he mentions them, he calls them out. So in a long-winded way, maybe what I'm saying here is that Paul, I think, was empowered by the Holy Spirit to challenge a man like Peter and to do it publicly, not in the background, for the benefit of the early Christians, the early churches of God, because it was important that this be seen to be above board, that it seemed to be something that's not been hidden. And there's, just because Peter is a powerful man and he's got a powerful position, he's an apostle, therefore he can do what he likes. There's been situations like that in fellowship and it's, to the detriment of fellowship where it's something that's been covered up and it comes out years later when things like that are then thought, well, what, what, why is it all covered up? Why was that not open? 
if that person said that and it caused division and it caused disruption then he should be called out and we've got to be open with each other but we start with ourselves of course and help one another and that's where I think the encouragement here comes from this to me uh, that this is what Paul's uh, desire was was that it it's for the churches of God it's for God that this thing has to be done decently and in order what he was challenging Peter about was of course justification justification by faith is almost going to say it's it's famous uh, because of Luther and anybody that knows the, the history of Luther is the man the monk the Catholic monk who revealed if you like to the world almost out of Catholicism and Catholicism was a a religion that was steeped in justification by works and connected to the grace of God and this is exactly what we're seeing here with Peter that Peter had come along and he'd come to the Gentiles and he had started eating with them he was one of them uh, a Christian together Jews and Gentiles coming together and then Satan got in and it came through his brethren, his Jewish brethren, James being mentioned as one of them, who came along and started putting the doubts in, started questioning, look, you know, we're Jews. We've been brought up with the law of Moses. The law of Moses was given by God, wasn't it? So how can we cast that aside? And he, starts, he came and he started to withdraw and would not eat with the Gentiles. Um, what did that look like? He was too good for them. <laughs> he was better than them. He was born a Jew. He was of the elite, the people of God. And therefore these Gentiles were of a lower caste almost. And therefore we can't eat with them. And so he was sowing this justification through the law. And although he was teaching uh, about the grace of God as seen in the person of Christ, that was being taught, what he was saying was that that's not enough. Now that is heresy. <laughs> that is desperately difficult stuff for that to be coming out from the actions and the mouth of Peter. And that was not something, of course, that could be let alone let loose we can see from history as to when the end of the first century when um, catholicism began to take grip that for hundreds of years we've had this problem of uh, understanding justification by faith luther was 15 something i think so i mean it was there was almost about 1400 years had gone by when uh, the, the Catholics or Roman Catholicism ruled in Christianity and they were teaching that Christ was not enough and they still teach that and of course even although it's 1500 and something that Luther nailed his, uh, his paper to the, the church door 
that he challenged that and it's we've now got what's known as Protestant, Protestantism and uh, and it's been we've been led away from that that now the importance of course in our teaching and uh, in the gospel teaching is justification comes through Jesus Christ and not in the law let's uh, just confirm that again if we just look at Ephesians chapter 2 it's it comes it comes out very strongly as we go through Galatians we'll be coming across this time and time again but Ephesians 2 also confirms this Ephesians 2 and 8 well if we read it verse 6 and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do that can't be clearer <laughs> it can't be clearer that uh, the gospel is so steeped in the basic teaching that there is nothing that we can do we are poor helpless sinners if we start bringing in the law or we start bringing in works then what Paul went on to talk about here in, in Galatians was that effectively what we are saying is that Christ came for nothing what was the point of Christ coming to die what was the point of him bearing our sins if that was not enough and that of course is what's been was coming through from what Peter's actions were and it had to be challenged that if we start introducing that if we start introducing the things from the law what then we're on a slippery slope but we are breaking down the basic principle of the justification is through grace and it's through Jesus Christ and none other and that we have to see ourselves as being totally helpless and needing Christ and it doesn't matter our upbringing it doesn't matter our level of education it doesn't matter the colour of our skin it doesn't matter in anything of a worldly nature it's purely Christ and he alone can save us and we are justified only in him so whether we are circumcised whether we keep the sabbath whether we offer sacrifices is of no consequence and it comes out in the other parts of scripture also that uh, when it came to dealing with the gentiles they Paul was actually saying to his Jewish brethren, do not force them to do anything like that. Do not chastise them for um, living the way they do that's not 
in line with Jewish custom because that's not important. What is important that they align themselves to Christ. Christ is the all in all. He was teaching them that they needed to have a life of dependence. And I think again, there's so much that we can learn from that. Because once you start introducing works, then that changes things. Because it, it starts introducing things like how wealthy you are, um, or how much free time you've got, and things that have become um, your situation, your personal situation, your personal level of knowledge and understanding wealth with all that, as if that has got anything to do with justification. Because we need to learn to live a life of dependence on Christ. One of the problems we have in the Western world, of course, is that we have too much money. <laughs> you probably don't agree with me, <laughs> but you think you like a lot more. But we are not dependent on a day-to-day -day basis on Christ for our living. We don't worry about our meal uh, tomorrow. We don't worry about clothes for tomorrow. We don't worry because even about our health to the same degree. We do worry about that in some degrees, but not to the degree where every aspect of your life you're concerned and you're trusting in God. We need to be dependent on him, that he controls everything. And there is no need for us to be thinking about a level of um, spirituality or um, maintaining uh, an outward show of godliness. That is not the dependency that is being asked for here. And then you have to take the law, and this is what uh, Paul's teaching here, is take the law and put it aside. Because all these Jews know, as he said, that uh, righteousness could not be gained through the law. And so, because we know from the law of Moses that if you take all 635 of them, if you, cut, if you work possibly able to even try and keep that lot it would not get you to heaven it would not get you. you would not be justified it's an impossibility to keep the law of Moses and that the law of Moses was designed in order to teach that that it's not possible and that you need to like Job cry out to God and say if only I had an intercessor. If only there was somebody that I could talk to. If there only somebody I could trust that could communicate my thoughts to you and they would be able to bring your thoughts to me so that we could mesh and understand each other. If only. And then along came Christ. And this is what Paul's teaching here. Did Christ die for nothing? Well, of course not. And if he died bearing our sin, bearing our chastisement, bearing our punishment, if he took our sin 
and he removed it as far as the east is from the west, as we are taught from scripture, then why on earth would we have to keep the law? Is Christ not sufficient? He is all in all. If righteousness came by the law, Christ died in vain. Let's just look, lastly, just closing with uh, the last scripture in Romans chapter 11. Actually, just, I'd just like to read this together. We'll read from verse 1. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am and only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So to all the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. That if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then, what Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. This remnant that's referred to there were those who were being saved by grace. This uh, the people of Israel, and this is where we have to understand that they were God's chosen people and they will be again. God does not, has not discard, uh, discarded them. He set them aside at the moment and the, the the day of grace that we live in now is a, a day that's open to the Gentiles. They, in, in the whole, the people of Israel have rejected Christ. They crucified him and they've rejected him. Uh, and once we are taken away and once the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the air to take his bride home, us, those saved by grace, saved by the work of Christ, then God's dealings will once again be with his people of Israel and they again will be dealt with as the chosen people from the line of Abraham. We're from the line of Abraham also because we are in Christ Jesus. We will be taken away. So this is where the confusion sometimes comes in is that when you look at God's dealings with Israel, you look at God's dealings with the church, the body of Christ, and there can be some confusion in that. that hopefully that's helped a little bit. Uh, and so when he, going back to the, the, the Paul situation here, he felt it so necessary to deal with this matter and to eradicate this, uh, 
this falsehood that was coming in that, was, that could so easily have destroyed the church and in fact did eventually but at this time he was able to stall it he was able to correct it and Peter was gracious enough to accept it too so we learn a lot from it ourselves because as I said at the beginning it's important that we recognise error but the only way we can do that is to have a knowledge of scripture and to be able to communicate with the Lord through his word and to understand and appreciate what error is and how it should be rectified and to how graciously help one another in that not lauding it over each other uh, in, in knowledge or whatever but just to recognise the importance of truth and making sure that we are in line with the word of God Shall we pray?